0: This is the Say The Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Say The Damn Score podcast. I'm Logan Anderson, your show host, as you just heard our big voice guy say in the intro coming into it. And we have a great guest for you today as we are joined right now by Mike Grimm. He is the voice of the football team and men's basketball team for the Minnesota Golden Gophers as well as the sports director for the Minnesota News Network and Mike thanks a lot for joining us how are you doing right now?
1: I'm doing great Logan thank you I'm uh, I'm happy to be on the show and uh, glad to maybe share a story or two.
0: And we'll just get right into our st- story sharing as one of the first things that I've talked about with just about everybody who has come on this podcast is what was your initial break into the business that got you your first job out of college it's been a huge variety of them and pretty much none of them have been replicable as career paths and our off-air conversation you said yours was very strange as well so I'll just shut up and let you talk (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah my my first job out of college I went to a small division 3 school in northeast Iowa called Luther College. <clears throat> I went there uh to play baseball. Uh I was an okay baseball player, good enough to to uh you know play a couple of years and uh as a junior and senior <laughs> on the varsity team and and as part of that also since I was about 8 years old had an idea that I wanted to to do this crazy thing called sports casting and play by play. So uh was able to uh do a lot of work on the campus station there and uh I grew up in Iowa and at the local commercial station in Decorah Iowa had uh a uh, new uh disc jockey so to speak who came from Cedar Rapids uh his wife got the job as a uh, as the alumni relations person at Luther, at Luther College uh so he had a, a big you know job in Cedar Rapids they moved to Decorah he's doing afternoons and the guy, one of the guys I grew up idolizing was a guy named Ron Gonder. He was a longtime voice of Iowa Hawkeye football and basketball. And um, he worked at that station, the guy that moved to Decorah. So we got connected. I got an internship through that weird connection, just through the the, the college. And um, did the internship uh, leading into my senior, uh, senior year uh, when I graduated, a job opened at that station in Cedar Rapids, and it was an overnight job. Uh, kind of the grunt work, $1,000 a month in 1993 doesn't go that far, but it isn't bad for you know, a 22-year-old, and the rest, they say, is history. I took that job and stayed in that, at that station from 2000 or through 2001, from 93 to 2001, uh, and just kind of worked my way up the food chain within the station. And when I left, I was, uh, I was the sports director and, and did uh, some play-by-play for Iowa women's games and pregame and postgame for Iowa football.
0: So, getting into a job where you were able to do division one play by play it sounds like not immediately but at your first position. How valuable was that for climbing the ladder quickly
1: yeah i I think there's there's a bunch of ways to go about it in some in some cases when you immediately graduate from from college. Frankly, you have to take the job that's available because you got to pay bills, right? If there's a job available, uh, and it might not even be the, you know, the, I mean, obviously, everyone that leaves wants to, you know, graduate. Hey, I want to be the Dallas Cowboys play-by-play announcer. Well, though, you know, that job's not likely uh, going to go to a, you know, a, a recent college grad. So we all have to pay our dues, um, and so it was. Uh, you know, I had a couple of different chances. I did turn one job down, uh, in, uh, pretty much right after college and then regretted that for, for a few months because I didn't have any other opportunities. Mm-hmm. And then this job came up in August. So I graduated in May, uh, this job in August. Uh, and I felt like I maybe skipped a step because getting into Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not Chicago and it's not Minneapolis, but it's, it's a pretty good market. Now, the, the job wasn't great. It was overnight. I went in at 10 p.m. and got home at 4 a.m. Uh, you know every night. And that was about, uh, for about 14 months. They moved me into the newsroom. I did newscast and, and news reporting and followed the courts and had to go to city council meetings and all of that stuff for, uh, I don't know, two or three years, and then uh, finally got moved into, into uh, a talk show, and that was a generic general talk show, not a sports show. But as part of that job, I also anchored afternoon sports and then started to do some high school football, play-by-play, Iowa pregame and postgame football. The Iowa women's job opened, and... Um, And and it just kind of worked from there. So when you count the internship portion of that when I was a senior, it really covered about a nine-year span all at one station. And you get to know people, you get comfortable with people, and and, and it's it's sometimes hard to leave uh, your comfort zone. And when the opportunity to go to St. Louis uh, came about, I I decided to, to give that a shot as well.
0: I want to back up a little bit. As you mentioned, you went to Luther College, and I cover Presentation College in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And they actually – I covered a game when they played Luther in Decorah, and I was up in the cafeteria for the broadcast. I was wondering if that was where the broadcast location was when you were there too, if we if we covered the game in the same spot.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, now they, <laughs> they've redone the cafeteria. Uh, it was uh, – it's a beautiful cafeteria. I had not – you know, through my the course of my career, all my Saturdays basically are taken up. Even all the way back to when I was in Cedar Rapids and then St. Louis, and 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 now clearly with the with the uh, the Gophers, all my Saturdays outside of a bye week here and there are taken up in the fall. So I had not been back to a Luther football game in 20 years. My brother also went to Luther; he's a couple years younger than me, and I went to a game in 1995, and then really from that point on, there wasn't uh, the schedules never meshed until last year. The Gopher bye week. Uh, coincided with uh, a Luther football game that was home. And so, my, I, in fact, in a weird way, my high school team, where I went to high school, played Decorah High School the night before. So I actually got to double dip. I watched both high school and uh, college uh, alma maters in the, you know on the same weekend of they go for bye week. And it was fun to see the cafeteria. And I've been back to the the school many times, but not for a football game, and they still do. They broadcast the PA systems up there, the stats crew, the coaches, and they just kind of have them partitioned off with, like, little office cubicle-looking things. And uh, if you listen real close, one of the coaches certainly could hear the other team's coach down the way a little bit if you really wanted to listen. So uh, it's it's a pretty unique situation. I always thought it was a great view. Uh, You're you're high, it's a good location, and and it uh, it gives you a good look at the football field, that's for sure. But, yep, right in the cafeteria, I mean, there's literally people, students eating 15 feet from you as you're doing the play-by-play of the game.
0: I was going to say, did you ever order a hot dog while you were on the air?
1: (laughs) No, ice cream cones. We'd always go get ice cream uh, when there was halftime or something. They had the ice cream maker, and, uh, yeah, we'd always have an ice cream cone at halftime.
0: So your next move from Cedar Rapids was to go to the legendary sports station, KMOX in St. Louis, where you know, the Bucks, both were at, where Bob Costas was at for a while. Certainly there's been a lot of heavyweights that have gone through that, yourself included. What was the break that got you that position, and how long were you there? Just take us through that experience. Well,
1: yeah, very, yeah, I was there from 2001 through 2006, uh, so it was... It was a five-year stretch over the course of uh, six, you know, parts of six baseball seasons with the Cardinals. Uh, I did not do play-by-play for the Cardinals, but I did the uh, KMOX portion of the pregame and the postgame shows. Uh, I hosted the KMOX Sports Open line, and, uh, and then also tra- we traveled uh, a reporter, so another guy and I traded off road games for the Rams. We did not originate the Rams, but we did travel with the team. Or I shouldn't. We didn't travel with the team like I do now with the golfers. In terms of the same flight, we traveled. You know, we we traveled commercial, but we covered all the road games and that. That was a great experience. But uh, it's a weird story in terms of I knew nobody at KMOX. Um, I grew up in Iowa, uh, and it's it, it's kind of a I, I think unique uh, situation that to mention the guy I grew up listening to do Iowa football. I ended up working at that station and working for him, uh, and eventually took his spot when he retired as sports director. And I also grew up in the summer times listening to X. Uh, it, it would boom in at night in East Central Iowa, and so when that when I saw the job advertised, I knew I, I knew no one down there. And usually, as you know in this business, uh, a lot of times a job uh, is, is given to somebody who who has a connection, who somebody's familiar with, who has a recommendation. Well, I, I didn't know anybody, but I thought you know that is one spot. I really liked what I was doing in Iowa. I was in my home state. I, I knew a lot about the history. The They said I was in a comfort zone, but I thought if there's a spot I'd leave for KMOX, it would be a spot, having grown up listening to Jack Buck, as you mentioned. So I sent in my tape resume, uh, and and the interesting thing was the, uh, the ad at that time, and this was still back when this was pre, it was Internet stuff, but it was also still stuff in trade journals and that kind of stuff. And the ad specifically called for a one-page sheet on your philosophy on how you should be a, a uh, sports you know a successful sports talk host. So, I had six points of order, so to speak, on what I felt you know a good sports talk show host should should, uh, should do. And can you tell us what those were off.
0: before you go on? Do you remember?
1: Well, uh, I don't. I, I okay. mean, it was a bunch of stuff. You know, you know intriguing, compelling radio. Uh, i you know, to me, it, it uh, it's more about trying to create conversation uh, that's interesting as opposed to, uh, you know, not, not as much facts and figures maybe. Uh, and and I, I remember in there I said sometimes you have to, as a talk show host, uh, you know, uh, thump your chest but be very careful about it, be very uh, humble about it. Uh, to even put your ego on the shelf at times, if if it means a better interview or more compelling radio, and I think that struck home with the program director there at the time. But the interesting angle on that is they had you know 200 plus tapes, uh, you know, from people who wanted that job, and they narrowed it down immediately because most of the people did not include the one sheet, you know, philosophical thing that was asked. So anyone who didn't got eliminated. He he he's like you know the program director at the time was like if they can't follow directions. Uh, you know that, that's a hard one to. So, so the field shrunk just by me following directions. I was still in that field. They had me come down and do two uh, shows just as a guest fill-in, uh, kind of a real live on-air audition. And I, I was good. I was okay. I felt I felt like the the shows were 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 fine. Nothing to knock your socks off. But I got along with the PD. We we had dinner, and he said, "Well, you know, there's a couple of other people we're going to run through here." And uh, you know a few weeks later, they called and, and offered me the position and so it was i 'm pretty proud of that it was one of my proud accomplishments i, I didn't, i didn 't call anybody to say, "Hey, can you put in a good word for me because uh, I knew no one who knew anyone there so it was really that job was really on my own merits. I sent the resume I sent the tape I sent the uh, one sheet uh, went down and did two shows uh, and a couple of sports cast and uh, they liked it and 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 the rest is history in that in that regard as well.
0: So I believe that Jack Buck passed away in about 2002. So that would have been the very beginning of the time that you were there. Were you able to meet Jack Buck or Joe Buck, his son?
1: Yep, I met them both. Uh, it was really one of the one of my thrills was was meeting Jack Buck, especially, and I, and I like Joe Buck as well. And he was very friendly. Uh, like first time I met him, he grabs a sheet of paper and writes his cell phone down, and say, hey, call anytime if you need help, if you got any questions, and. Uh, you know, I didn't bug him, but it was a nice gesture certainly. And we, I'd see him at the baseball stadium because at that time he was still doing local TV for the Cardinals. So uh, he, he was great. We'd have him on our shows. You know, I don't know a couple of times a month to talk Cardinals or the or you know the NFL because he was doing uh... It, during my time in St. Louis was the time in which he got promoted to take over for Pat Summerall, so that he became an even bigger national figure. And I think that's the time he slowly. Weaned himself off of doing local cardinal stuff, but in terms of Jack Buck, now that was you know that, that that's that's kind of the guy I grew up really idolizing, listening to every night in the summer. So I'm sitting about day two or three on the job in the sports office at Camel X and we had kind of a sliding door, a glass door, almost like what you'd see in a house that would walk out onto a deck uh, to get in from the newsroom into the sports office at X. uh... Since the station has moved facilities, but this was then, and so the door opens, and there's a water cooler, or there was a water cooler in the sports office. So oftentimes the news people, if they wanted to get a drink or fill their water bottle, that door would slide open, you know, two or three times an hour. People walking in, fill the water, and leave. So I, I even, two or three days into the job, began to ignore when the door opened. wouldn't even look up because I knew it was someone filling their water bottle. And the door opens, and all of a sudden I got this, like sense that somebody was kind of staring and I turn and there's Jack Buck standing two feet from the computer I'm working on and he says Are you a new guy and I said I am he uh, he asked if I was from Iowa I said I was he asked if I knew Jim Zobel who was uh, another longtime Iowa radio football voice who, who like Jack Buck has since passed away but they were all kind of contemporaries and I said I did know him and I talked to him a lot and he said let's call him up and that was how I spent my second or 3rd th- I forget second third day uh, afternoon on the job, as I called Jim Zobel, who was at WHO in Des Moines, and he and I had worked together on a couple of things when I was in Iowa and Jack Buck and Jim Zobel and I just kind of talked on the phone for for an hour or so, and it was it was a great story. And he was uh, Jack Buck was very polite, very nice, uh, very welcoming. Uh, and then you know I, I took that job in July, and I'd go to the ballpark. I didn't know anybody, and uh, you know you'd stand there in the uh, at the Bush Stadium cafeteria where the where the media folks would eat. And just kind of stand there. And every time Jack was eating, he'd he called me Michael, and he'd say, "Michael, come sit with me." And so he was very nice. Couldn't have been couldn't uh, couldn't could have been uh, a nicer guy. And uh, really helped me in a couple of things because it wasn't it was not an easy transition. It's a hard job. You have to know a lot about St. Louis sports history. And uh, you know, coming from the outside, I thought I knew a lot because I'd listened to them growing up. But uh, that that's a demanding sports town. They know their they know their <laughs> stuff. And um, Jack Buck kind of helped talk me through a few things about even when he got there back in the 50s. You know, it was a struggle early, and eventually I was pretty proud of the work I did there, but it was not easy at first, that's for sure.
0: Was there a time that sticks out that you got caught on some not knowing something that you should have known that a caller or someone writing in made you feel silly?
1: All the time early. I mean, you know, I mean, it's hard. I mean, you're, you're swimming in all kinds of new info. Uh and again you think you know everything. A lot of it was just like calling people by the wrong name just you 'cause you're you're you know, it was it was new to me. I mean it wasn't like it was it wasn't a comedy of errors early, but it wasn't that far from it to be quite honest with you. And I'm pretty thankful they stuck with me for, you know, the first couple of months anyway. Uh and then like I said, then, you know, I, I felt fully comfortable I'd say a year a full year into that thing and Certainly, by year two, it was it was fine, and uh, you know, and, and and then you just get familiar with what's going on, and then you live it. I mean, you're literally living the uh, the experience. So now you got a basis with, uh, of uh, of games with which to you know to to discuss that that you personally witnessed. So that helped as well. But uh, yeah, it was a struggle early. I mean, there was all kinds of different things that uh, you know that weren't exactly uh, you know something that you want to put on a resume tape. That's for sure.
0: I was going to ask you this later in the interview, but I think this is a good segue to go into it. What is the dumbest thing that you've said on the air that you oh, that you just regret and go back? I can think of a couple off the top of my head under my personal careers. Are just a couple of specific things that where you just said something dumb?
1: I I, I'm a, I don't have. I, I guess I'd say this. I don't have anything specific that stands out. Um, you know, like like that was. You know, there's always stuff from a broadcast uh, that I'll drive home afterwards and say, "I wish I wouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that." Uh, but nothing where it's like, "Boy, if somebody heard, you know, somebody important heard that, I'd get fired." I, not nothing along those lines. Um, I would stay just in a, in a general sense, um, and even now today, you know, I consider myself a veteran. You know, I you know I've been doing it for a while. Um, I, I I I have to catch myself. I think it's a good lesson for for a lot of broadcasters because you you cover the team. Um, I I think I do a fairly good job of trying to be uh, even keeled about it in regard to, uh, you you know, I mean, people know when they listen to me do a Gopher game that I'd like to see the Gophers win. Um, But I also don't ignore if there's a poor play, a questionable decision, uh, that kind of stuff. And and I I think listeners appreciate that, but I also think you can't get too much into the – uh, for lack of a better term, you know the fanboy, uh, you know situation, and, and even now with years of experience, I fall into that on occasion where you're, you you you're, you say the rap's nuts, you know what's the rep watching, you know da, da 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 da, and then afterwards I'm like I you know don't don't go down that road, and I've gotten better about that. It was a real it was a real interesting early in my career, uh... you know just just in terms of trying to handle uh... how do you how do you handle that where. Uh, for us now at Division One, we have at many of our spots a replay, you know, monitor, so we can see if what we think might be a call or uh, was right or wrong, and we can discuss that, and we do. But I, I think uh, I, I try to, and I don't always succeed. Um, I'm I still a work; I still have to work at it, uh, not to fall into that fanboy situation where you're, you know, it's just uh, it, embarrassed by it. when you go back and listen to the tape. It's like, geez. Don't let the broadcast get dragged down by, by that scenario. If you know
0: what I'm saying, I do very much. I find myself struggling with the same thing, and I, I know we talked about it in a past podcast with Neil Rule, who was the guy who filled in for that official who, or for not for the official for that broadcaster from Green Bay who was thrown out by the official for about a minute. That yeah. was that was bizarre. But
1: yeah, and 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 I would add this. I, I don't. I, I, I. That's not to say I, I don't think officials are above criticism like if, if particularly guys like i i'm working in the big Ten, and those guys are making almost two thousand dollars for one two-hour basketball game so frankly i you know that they're they're good but they also aren't perfect so i think if they make a mistake uh... with the money they're making uh, i don't and, and if we can confirm on replay let's say uh... without beyond the shadow of a doubt the guy stepped out and they missed it i don't think it's i don't think it's terrible to say hey they you know he he didn't see it and that's fine uh, where I think it gets tricky is if all of a sudden you take personal shots, and occasionally you find yourself, you know, almost becoming that fan in the second row, and you know, hey, he's blind. What? Could, how could he possibly miss that? And and I, and I've done it, and then later regretted it. So uh, I think uh, you know, I don't think there's, I don't think there'd be, uh, particularly at a high level like that. I mean, if if there's guys doing high school games, and those guys might be making thirty-five bucks a game. They're not pros, so to speak. They're not you know, fully trained, although a lot of them do get training at that level, and many of them are very, very good. I think it does come down to a little bit different expectation level there than, than at a high level.
0: So moving on to your stint with the Gophers, which is where you're at right now, give us the break that got you to, as the main football and men's basketball announcer there and uh, how you came about that position and how things have been going since, obviously quite well if you're still there.
1: Yeah, I really enjoy it. I just finished uh wrapped up my tenth year of basketball play by play. Uh we'll start this fall my sixth year of football play by play. Uh I've been part of the network on football as uh, prior to my play by play stuff as a pre and post game and halftime host. Um and unlike my Camo X stuff in which, you know, I, I knew nobody down there and really uh you know got the job based on, on uh you know my own merit so to speak and like I said I'm really proud of that. Um, in this particular case, I, I, I was familiar with Learfield Properties, who—that's uh, the uh, Missouri-based company that owns rights to a lot of schools. Now it's almost a hundred uh, multimedia right contracts they have with a hundred schools. Um, when I was in Iowa, I worked with and for them. Uh, they were—they the, were a Hawkeye uh, rights holder and still are. Uh, and so I knew people there. Uh, I knew people at Iowa uh very well the general manager at that time he's no longer there uh knew the Minnesota guy. I did not know anyone at Minnesota per se, but I knew people at Learfield. So I started, you know, uh, showing interest, uh sent some tapes. Uh the people at Iowa were very influential in helping me get a good word in. As it turned out, uh one of the associate ADs at Minnesota did spend some time in St. Louis and was familiar with my work. And um, I think they ended up with four finalists, and and at the end of the day, I felt very lucky that they chose me.
0: And the University of Iowa, you grew up in the state, you were a Hawkeye fan. Minnesota is a little bit of a rival for them. I don't remember which trophy they play for, but I know it's one of the old trophy games and the kind of states just geographically are rivals. Was that ever difficult, putting away your fanhood of the Hawkeyes to cover a rival team?
1: It 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 was not at all when the broadcast started in any way. Um, Like you know, it's almost like you you get to know the people involved, and and I say this a lot because I have, you know, my high school friends and college friends who are from Iowa. Uh, You know, they're like, oh man, the Gophers this and the Gophers that, and I'm like, no, they're good people. They're good people, and people here where I'm at now in Minnesota. Might say something like, "Oh, those Hawkeye people." I'm like, oh, they're good people too." There's not a lot of difference, frankly. You know, uh, they're, they're 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 good people working at both places. Um, I will say this: the first, my first quote-unquote assignment back in 2006, when when I got this job, was to help at the uh, they had a football kickoff luncheon in Saint Paul, Minnesota, at one of the downtown hotels. And I had I was here for maybe a week, and they played the Minnesota Rouser. And that was a little weird feeling to stand up and clap along to that. Um, but I got over pretty quickly and then I got to know people on the staff, got to know the players. And it doesn't it's not very hard, particularly when they're good people involved, to uh to start, you know, pulling for those people and, and uh developing a relationship with that. So it was not it was not hard. It's Florida Rosedale, by the way, is the, the the pig that they play for. Uh, it's a bronze ninety pounds. Big statue that Minnesota and Iowa play for every year in football. And I'll be honest, one of the big thrills in my in my career is the chances I've had to go back to Kinnick Stadium. Now, uh, in my five years of football, uh, twice they've played uh, Iowa. Uh, Minnesota has in football, and I've had my mom and dad in the radio booth with me both times, and uh, that's been uh, as thrilling as anything I think I've ever done. is having uh, those two up there uh, watching over my shoulders, uh, it's Minnesota and Iowa playing on the, on the football field
0: that's an excellent story i don't mean this as a shot at minnesota gopher sports but there's been some some teams that frankly weren't very good over the last 10 years where you've had to call probably a lot of blowout games how do you handle those situations while you how do you keep blowout games interesting for the listeners
1: yep great question um you know, it's weird because we're coming off the Gophers are coming off a season in which, in basketball, they just won two games in the Big Ten. Uh, I think it was got swept United by United the South
0: States. Dakota teams,
1: yeah. I got swept <laughs> by South Dakota and South Dakota State for the first time ever. Um, and the weird thing was, this is going to sound almost like a homer's take, is there weren't a lot of blowouts. I mean, there were a couple late, certainly once everyone got injured and three players got suspended, and you know, there were a couple of 30 point blowouts late. But over the course of, I think it was an 0 11 start in the Big Ten like nine of those 11 w- losses were by single digits. So there was never really time, because there, there does, I, you're right, there does become a time where all of a sudden you know the game's no longer in doubt and you have to go into, you know, I don't want to say Johnny Carson mode, but you got to go into some sort of mode that's going to still be compelling. I, I, I'll tell people, you know, you, you got to have compelling content. And when the game's 69 to 44 and there's six minutes left, it's probably – not the game that's going to be compelling. So uh Spencer Colickson in basketball is is uh my color commentator. He's a former player and at, at the start of the year I always tell him to have he be he, he's very organized. He's really done a nice job of working hard in preparation. Uh I, you know, and I think he's learned that over the years that you want to have, you know, a good uh, basis of of every, you know, everything involved in the broadcast and he's gotten really good. At preparation, and one of the things that we always talk about is have six or seven little notes. We get into a blowout, uh... funny stories from your playing days. uh... Was there a weird bus trip? It doesn't even have to be when he was with the golfers. Maybe it's an AAU trip, you know. Um, and so we sometimes you go into that. I mean, I don't think you totally give up on play-by-play. You want to keep doing that, but it might not be every bounce of the ball and every pass. Now you got to get into, uh, you know, like I said, kind of Johnny Carson mode and. Uh, and do some some compelling almost not really talk show, but you want, you want to do something that 's going to keep people uh, you know in tune to your network that 's for sure
0: so you spoke at the one day ticket to sports casting success two years ago in Salisbury north carolina that 's where I was able to meet you and get your yep. contact information and One of the things that you said that stood out to me that i 've been trying to do since then is that you try to find one or two things every game that the fans can't find anywhere else. The example you gave was that they were bringing a tutor all along and a couple basketball players had to take a test on the bus or something like that. How do you find that information and how do you fit that into your broadcast?
1: Yep, I think, well, two things. One, in in my position, it isn't about me in this case, it's really the position, uh, the way that our deal is cut, and it's really the way most deals are now cut, the radio crew travels with the team so if frankly if any radio guy wants to do that in mike in my position it should it isn't it isn't it isn't that hard i mean there's always going to be i mean you're on the team flight you're on the team bus you're at the team hotel uh... you're you're going like i, I do an interview the pregame interview on the road we usually do at the shoot around um, not everyone and, and i think part of what uh... if you remember part of what i said there is We have access now. There are certain confidences you can't break because of that access, clearly. Um, But in 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 general sense, we have access that the newspaper guy doesn't have, access that frankly the national TV guy or regional TV guy doesn't have. And if we aren't bringing some of that new content in some way, shape, or form to the listener, we're probably not doing the job we should be doing. So. I'm always trying to grab stuff or think of stuff or even strike up a conversation that, you know, heck, there's been some time waiting for the elevator at the hotel and there's two players waiting there. Uh, it, it might be as simple as, uh, you know, what you have for dinner. I only had three milkshakes or whatever. And even that can become a nugget. You know, that's something that, that not everyone's going to get. So uh, the access that we have we should take advantage of. I don't think it's as easy at some other levels. Like if you're just doing high school games, uh you know that it's hard sometimes to get the two deep roster from the coach, <laughs> let alone you know try to try to come up with two or three or four or ten nuggets of of new info so um I feel lucky in, in the sense that because of the way this this thing is structured it's not that not a hard job to come up with new stuff uh It is sometimes hard to try to relay that info um and and I think of all you know with, with the prep that I do. Probably, probably only delivering about half of it. You know, by really the game is the story, and if it's a good game, you don't need to dive into a lot of that stuff. uh... And and like you say, if it gets into blowout mode, then then you you, you roll into and and that's a time to use some of that stuff. And and even some of that, I'll take notes on. Um, and you might some of the nuggets might be from two weeks, before, you know, before, and it's still interesting. It still can, you know, if it's evergreen stuff, it can still hold. So. Um, I, I know that it's not, you know, for me, I'm lucky because it, it's easy. It really is easy to get new info uh, and to have nuggets, I think, at, the, uh, at some other levels with like high school and, and some of the other things. It, it gets trickier, but if you work at it, it's certainly you know, doable, and particularly if you can you know do some interviews. Assistant coaches are always uh, uh, prime, prime targets for really good, unique, uh, sometimes exclusive information. Uh, again, without breaking any trust, but uh, you know, if it's info that can be, uh, you know, publicly disclosed, assistant coaches are really good uh, uh, sources along those lines.
0: So, a lot of it's probably just common sense, and you know, looking into it and knowing the people that you're talking to a little bit. But is there a certain line that you draw on what you share—stuff you find on the bus, or stuff you find on the plane, or at the hotel—stuff that you share and stuff that you don't?
1: For sure. Uh, you get, like I said, there there is a certain trust. Now, I'll, I'll say this, there there's not, over the course of time, not, I mean, people might hear that and say, ooh, there must be something scandalous going on that the uh, Gopher announcer is covering up. I've never had anything along those lines. But, you know, there are certain, even when it comes to, okay, we're watching football practice, there might be some, uh the strategical things that they're doing well clearly uh you don't want to publicly say hey they were running a two back set with a in practice on Thursday they were running a two back set and a quarterback option sweep you know trick play to, to tip off the world to those are those are kind you know they, if they give you access to practice as they do us uh you know you, you don't want to give away the scattering report but but that said what i find myself doing a lot um and, in fact, we did it uh last year a couple of different times where there was a uh, uh it's not a trick play, but it's kind of one of those plays where where the tight end kind of gets lost in the wash and then slips out and they, they scored a touchdown against purdue and then at that point, we have said, daryl, we saw them work on that yesterday in the walk through before the team flew out here, and then Daryl can say, yeah, they worked you know they ran it six times and da 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 and 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 that's a nugget you know now people know they did work on that play specifically so You do, I think, have to do some protecting uh, from a strategical personnel uh, formation kind of thing uh, and and those kind of things. But once the play's been run, it's worth suggesting. Spencer really utilizes in basketball the shoot-around time uh, for his own just personal background info. You know, hey, the Gophers are going to be playing a lot of zone, it looks like, and so now he knows that and can talk about it. And then there are times where they discuss that inbound play today, And yet they couldn't stop it, maybe, you know, that kind of stuff. But, yeah, so there is that. But there's nothing, there's never been in my time here something where, like, ooh, man, uh, we can't say that or, or, you know, the school's going to get in trouble. I have never run across that. I hope I never do.
0: You went through some interesting scenarios with head coaches in your time there. The one that jumps out to me, Tubby Smith was a popular coach, a pretty successful coach, for the men's basketball team at Minnesota, he was uh, kind of let go, I believe, two years ago, and has gone on and done well for himself. But when you have a coach who is popular and who I'm from everything I hear, he's a very good guy, and that you guys probably got along well. How do you treat that on the air?
1: Well, that, that was a that was a, a tricky time, um, and there is a little tap dance there because. Um, you know you put yourself in the shoes of you are the voice of the uh, you know of the Minnesota golden Gopher basketball team um, you i'm I am not an employee of the school but my employment is approved by the school and I'm paid by a company that has a contract worth millions with the school so it, look I'm not you know you, there 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 are things that you like you say you have to you know you have to understand your spot and your role i'm not a i'm not a uh, a beat writer who's out to uh, to break a bunch of exclusive stories or do big investigations that's just not my job it just isn't uh that said when a coach gets fired and i did i like tubby uh still like tubby glad that he's having success not surprised he's having success um, the way i handled that was pretty honestly i mean i, I wasn't uh, i didn't fib with anybody uh the, there was a bit of Staleness, if you will, um, people within the market now. He, Tubby is is a wonderful man, high character, um, but it was weird because even within that, his last year uh, at Minnesota, within that year, at one point they were ranked eight. Uh, at one point they beat number one Indiana. They got their first NCAA tournament win that officially counted. Remember they had those vacated games in the in the late '90s, including the Final Four team that doesn't count. Um, So we eliminate those games. That was a first NCAA win since, like, 1991. So you'd think there's zero chance that a coach would get fired after all of that. But yet, as the season was winding down, there was a pretty good public outcry here that the program was stuck in neutral, was treading water. It was a new AD, uh, a new associate AD who was a big basketball guy who had a lot of connections. And so it wasn't, as it was winding down, things were souring. There was no doubt about it. So I wasn't shocked at all that it was announced. But knowing I liked Tubby, I, didn't, I wasn't going to, you know, say, yeah, this was deserved. I never once said I thought he should be fired. But I did think that the way I phrased it, and I still believe this to be true, is sometimes, you know, there can be a married couple that gets divorced and it doesn't mean you have to hate one or the other or even blame one or the other. Sometimes a divorce is just the best for everybody. And that's the way I I I, I still to this day think that that was the case. I uh and as it's it's worked out okay for both. Um I mean Tubby's now at Memphis <laughs> after his success at Texas Tech. And um and uh, again I'm not surprised by that. But I do think there was a the the, the, the separation there given the the athletic director uh was new. Now, since then, it's gotten a little tricky because, of course, that athletic director uh, had to resign with with some with some issues uh, <laughs> last fall.
0: I wasn't going to make uh, you go there.
1: Yeah, and you know, and so now it's a whole different uh, can of worms, and and people, uh, you know, now we're, we're the golf program is kind of stuck in a holding pattern here as as they try to stabilize the program. But um, that, that's the way I handled it. I, I don't believe I said to anybody. I believe that that. Uh, at the time, that was kind of the, the, the general sense, and clearly, if you're the voice of the team, even if you believe that, I get the idea that someone would say, even if he doesn't think Cubby should be fired, he's not going to, not going to, uh, you know, criticize the uh, the athletic director since he's the guy running the running the program. And, and I wasn't uh, – that's not to say that I haven't before, but in that case, uh, you know, it's a pretty touchy situation. So I felt like I handled it okay. I still believe that – I still believe to this day that that, uh, that was the best way to frame it, was that, it, you know, sometimes the married couple gets divorced and doesn't mean there's a bad guy or a good guy. It's just, it's just a necessary thing.
0: The other coaching scenario you've had to go through that's unique nationwide is – Jerry Kill, who was a very successful coach for the Gophers, kind of rebuilt that program into a team that's been making bowl games. But he had the epilepsy issue where you he had seizures during the game. He left because of health issues. And I don't necessarily want you to go into that. But did you have to pay particular attention? Because that certainly usually you don't want to bring up personal stuff and medical stuff, but that becomes part of the storyline of the broadcast. How did you handle that that scenario as well?
1: Yeah, uh, the first time, Logan, that that happened was, I want to say, the second or third game of Jerry Kill's time at Minnesota. Uh, and that was um, against New Mexico State, a home game. And it was late in the game. And at the time, New Mexico State was like the worst Division One team in the country. So everyone thought this would be a blowout. Wolves ended up losing that game. And late in the game, they were trying to drive to, to, to uh, go ahead. And that's when um, all of a sudden there was some commotion and, and we, I knew not everybody at that time really knew the full history of of, of everything with Coach Kill. I, I was fairly familiar because he was at Southern Illinois when I was at St. Louis, and we covered that school peripherally. Um, and then it just in having some conversations. So when it happened um, the first time, it was a little uncomfortable, certainly. And then it was a you know, and we're live on the air, and it's not a um, you know, it's just it's just not a comfortable thing to. They have to describe. So we, you know, we we just mentioned that there's, you know, there's issues. Uh, it looks like Coach kills having a seizure. And the only thing that there's nothing. I thought we handled it well. We got, um, we got mostly um, people afterwards were mostly complimentary. That you know, it was a tough situation. You guys did a nice job with that. And 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 I took that well. And I think we we commented a lot uh, much on. On his background, health-wise, and how he, had, you know, he had done um worked his way through cancer, a cancer survivor, and, and and talked a little bit of things through that. The only thing that, in retrospect, and again, it's hard to predict that something like that, that's going to happen, because at the time it's happening, I mean, there there literally is a sense where you're thinking, you know, I, this life and death. I mean, you know, are we gonna, you know, what what's going to happen here? And obviously, we didn't mention that on the air, but that's in the back of your mind uh... And I i guess in retrospect, I wish that I would dug deeper beforehand to say, hey, if this happens, is this, you know? And as it turns out, from the sounds of it, the doctors are all saying that in his case, it's not a life or death situation. It, you know, in terms of it's not like, hey, if you go through a seizure, you know, it might be over. uh... And so, so that part of it, uh, we were a little more calm. The next, I want to say there were three or four occasions in which, uh, you know, Coach Kill had that. It was a Western Illinois game uh, right before halftime. And, and I, you know, it's really weird because I don't want to say it was old hat by then, um, but it was almost like matter of fact. Like the first time there was really a uh, era of, of, of um, you know, really kind of almost scared broadcasting, like, oh, man. Uh, and, and then it almost became matter of fact because that's really how that staff handled it all the time. It's like oh, Coach Kill's going through another seizure. Um, you know, Tracy Clay's will take over here in the second half, and it was much more matter of factly, and and we were certainly um, you know more prepared for it. And it's really a shame. I'm a big fan of Jerry Kill that that uh, he couldn't continue in his coaching career because he's he's a good man. That's for sure.
0: Take us through your preparation process. When are you starting? Uh, we'll do football first and then basketball. When are you starting before the game? And just take us through your schedule and what you do to be ready for a game
1: yep so um i've I've gotten fairly consistent I, I think it's important to try to stay with the process um you know with juggling my Minnesota news network sports reporter duties and sports director and anchor duties with uh, in the fall, especially with football and then the coaches shows and daily updates all of those things It makes for a fairly hectic work week um and so on now now this is going to change a little this coming fall Tracy Clays has changed the calendar a little bit uh, and and we'll probably have to, you know, change our process. But the way I've done it is, as you know, it's a long day on a Saturday when you're talking about a two-hour pregame, a football broadcast, and then a you know a 90-minute postgame, and on road games a flight home, and then you get home. It, it wears you out. I mean, it's not—I I get it's not digging ditches or you know anything manual labor. Mentally, it, it wears you out. So I do nothing on Mondays from the golf football perspective. I just. I let that day kind of be my let it burn day and, and you know, rest, recuperate, do my M&M duties, uh, do some daily updates, go to campus and do that stuff. But nothing with football. I just I just let that sit. And then um, Tuesday is the news conference day for Jerry Kill and player interviews. And so then you get into it. Uh, I usually try to watch a little bit of practice either on Tuesday or Wednesday. That doesn't always happen depending on the schedule. And then Wednesday night I put my boards together together. Um, And, you know, that's usually about a three to four hour process. I still do them all by hand. I know a lot of guys input it computer wise, but I'm still, um, I I still function best if I write it down. I remember stuff. I find myself writing notes down and then I don't have to reference the notes because I remember it from writing it down. Um, so that's a three to four hour process on Wednesday nights. Thursday is the coach's show. I take notes during the coach's show again to kind of remember, uh, Oftentimes there's new stuff by that time. They've gone through two or three practices in the week. And really by Thursday, everything is now switched to the upcoming game. And so it's actually a good, its even more game prep. Uh, and if I have some questions, I can ask it in the show on the host. So that, that makes it nice. And I get the answers and, and you move on. Uh, and then Friday, the road game, we fly out. Uh, and I spend, um, throughout the week, I print off. You know, the Internet's amazing now. So I print off every story I can find. If there's a story on the opponent, I print it off. And then I spend much of my Fridays reading through that. I mean, sometimes it's up to 80, you know, 80 or 90 articles. Um, I don't, I, I, when I first did it, I would highlight notes uh, or highlight stuff in the uh, articles, and I have just found I, I just don't have time to go back and look at that. Uh, I just read it and, and try to uh, soak in everything I can. And that way I've got a good basis on, on the opposition. And then with the Big Ten Network, it's nice. I always tape at least the previous week's game of the opponent, sometimes two weeks previous. And at some point during the week, it's not always the same time. Uh, when I have extra time, And because of the DVR, you can fast-forward through commercials. It's usually a couple of hours. I will watch the opponent's game from the week before to have some, uh, some knowledge of what they did the week before. And I'll be honest. There's times where there's info delivered by the national guys or the regional guys doing a game on TV that we just don't have access to. They talk to the coaches of the other team, and, um, and so sometimes you can you can glean some good tidbits off of that as well. Okay. So I, I don't know. I don't know total hours. Uh, I really don't. I always I always think like I'm preparing for 13 final exams over the course of 13 week season.
0: Okay. So that's enough serious stuff. Let's get to some fun stuff here. There are two other famous Michael Grimm's. One of them was, uh, I believe, won a season of America's Got Talent. Which of you has a more famous voice?
1: Well, that's a good question. Um, I had a couple of people when that happened joke with me uh, that they didn't know I could sing so well, and then when they heard me karaoke sometime, they knew that that wasn't the case. Um, And I think that guy won a million bucks for that, so I would have traded spots with him at least for that (laughs) one night. That's true. Um, and then now I know who you're going to say. I would not trade spots with the other Michael Grimm. <laughs> who I'm thinking you're thinking the politician from New correct. York State. Correct.
0: I was just going to say, have you ever been confused for him by mistake and been offended?
1: Uh, no, um, but I have one time. I uh, somebody tweeted at me. Uh, directly to my Twitter account, that they were upset that I voted a certain way on gun control. <laughs> and um, and I had to reply and say, I think you got the wrong guy. I, I mean, the Michael Grimm from the state of New York, who is a congressman, I believe is in jail right now. So it's not exactly someone I want to associate myself with or my name with, that's for sure.
0: What are some funny locations that you've had to broadcast from, probably likely, when you were in Iowa covering some high school games, is there a weird broadcast location that stands out to you?
1: Absolutely. Uh, no, no doubt about it. I was a college student at Luther. Uh, besides the cafeteria. School, besides the cafeteria, which was great because the ice cream machine was nearby. Um, and so there's, uh, it has got to be high school football playoff time. And in northeast Iowa, there was a, there was a high school called Turkey Valley, and they they, were, they made the playoffs. They were near Decorah. Decora also made the playoffs, so the, so they had an AM and an FM station, and the AM station always carried the Decorah games. Well, now here's a chance to do some regional stuff, and I think they sold like $800 worth of commercials for this Turkey Valley playoff game uh, on a – I want to say, I can't remember, I think it was a Wednesday. I think the opening round of the playoffs are on Wednesday. At least they were at that time. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good chunk of change for small-town radio. Uh, back in 19, this had to be 1991-ish. So we were going to do, this is some inside shop. The broadcasters listening, most will know what I'm talking about. The general folks listening won't have an idea, but we, we had what you call a Marty. Uh, <laughs> Marty oh, God. Just a way to, you know just a way to transfer your voice, almost like a TV radio, for lack of a better term, back to the station as opposed to a phone line. They didn't want to put in a phone line that cost of installation. but well, it turned out we were, we were out of Marty range. The only, the only thing picking up the Marty was the PA system It was bleeding through. So the station owner was was kind of along just to do some engineering because I really didn't know what the Marty was about. It turns out now the station owner's thinking, I might just lose eight or nine hundred dollars so we got to figure this out. There's a bus barn down the way, probably 100 yards to the south of the south end zone. This is a night game. The scoreboard faces the other way, and he says, you want to just do the play-by-play from here because there was a phone in the back corner of the the, uh, bus barn. And I really didn't want to. I had told a bunch of my friends that, uh, hey, you should listen. I'm, I'm making my – fact, I've done student work up to that point. You know, on the student station, this is my commercial radio debut, play-by-play. I told a bunch of friends to listen. And he said, you know what, I'll just do it. And um, what I'll have you do is you run up to the scoreboard, jot a few notes down, and then run back and hold up the notepad. So – I'm not kidding you. The station owner is on the phone in the back of a bus barn. He's looking through the motor of a John Deere tractor. They wouldn't let us open the door, the garage door, so he's looking through a circular window that was maybe two feet wide in diameter. And it's 100 yards to the very south of the place. So he had no idea. None. It was the worst game ever broadcast in the history of high school football. <laughs> and I'm sure over the years there's been some bad ones. And so if we finally get done. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible broadcast. He, and he signs off. Hangs up the phone, and I'm thinking he's gonna say, "Oh my God, what a nightmare!" He turns and he gives me high five like we did it, and I'm like, "Oh, he, he's happy he got the money. That's what he's happy about." And um, it was unreal. I got back, and this was back in the days of real phones, you know, landline phones, and my uh, the, the message light was flashing, and I had like four or five people going, "Man, you were terrible. What's going on?" They're thinking it was me, <laughs> and uh, that, so that, without a doubt, is the most bizarre. Uh, Football broadcast I've ever been part of, but uh, God bless the station owner. He uh, he got the money, he made his little dough, and um, and the game went on the air. And I my main regret is I don't have a tape of it. I would love to go back and listen <laughs> to it.
0: Any other horror stories uh, that you can remember?
1: Yeah, you know, especially you know, when I was doing high school and small college games in the late nineties. Um, you know, we engineered. You know, you, I now. Luckily, at this level. We travel and engineer with, so I don't have to worry about a lot of the, the technical stuff. If there's a glitch, I usually make fun of our engineer, and then he usually fixes it, so it's fine. Um, but back then, you know, I'm running around with a with things called, you know, like a vector and a, and a regular POTS line, and, and, and all, you know, now a lot of stuff I know is just, uh, you know, based on IP address and Internet, but back then that wasn't the case. And with this machine that they call a vector, you could use a regular landline, but the quality was pretty good, the sound quality, and I'm, I'm always... Always have been a big sound quality guy, yeah, wanting to make sure that the, the quality of the sound, aside from play-by-play, just the sound of the game, you know, that it sounds good. I, you know, people used to, I'd go to a high school game and there'd be a broadcast crew next to me and I'd be hanging crowd mics down and running wires and put a crowd mic somewhere else and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I want the, I want the sound. I want the sound to be like you're at the game, you know. So I'd work hard at that. But um, the one, at that time, the one, Downside is you could be playing a game and not realize you're not on the air, and there's no way the station can get a hold of you. And that happened one time. We were doing a high school game, and we're jabbering away, and all of a sudden, a fan who had headphones on comes over and taps me on, you know. And, and I, I'm sure everyone's had this, where you're doing a remote, you're doing a broadcast, and people just come up and start talking to you, like, like you know. Like, I'm on the air. I'm, I'm waving the guy off, and I hear him yell, "You're not on the air." <laughs> And I look down, and we're not connected. <laughs> and so I, I redial, and the guy's like, "Yeah, we haven't. You, you haven't been on the air since like five minutes into the game, and we're like in the fourth quarter, and we're thinking we're on the air the whole time." At that time, we were timing the commercials because you know it was, it, you know, it was just rudimentary. And uh, so that that would that would have been one of the worst. That was at a uh, that was at a high school game somewhere in the state of Iowa. I can't remember the exact location, but doing a game for like thirty minutes, thinking you're on the air when you're not. And the station is playing like thirty straight minutes of commercials, trying to get connected. It's not—that's not the best feeling either.
0: <laughs> so, Twin Cities question: That I'm going to put you on the spot. This—this this might be controversial. Once you're done, who has the better Juicy Lucy, Mats or the Five Eight Club?
1: <laughs> it's a great question, and um, in fact, it's funny you mention that because the, the uh, my friend who does Iowa women's basketball. Um, it comes up and always invites me out i've only been to the 5a club i've not been to maths. i've lived here now going on 10 years and i have had that question asked a lot so that is one of my goals here this summer is to uh to get to Matt's. um and then and I, I i don't know why i haven't and, and i don't know i haven't it wasn't like i just set out to go to the the 5a club on my own i mean it was it was part of a of an outing and i've been there you know a handful of times that juicy Lucy is good, so Matts will have to uh, will have to live up to it. But uh, I have I, I can't judge that, and I know that uh, that does kind of blasting me having lived here for a decade <laughs> now.
0: What do you do to improve at your craft now, and how does that differ from what you did when you were coming up?
1: Well, first of all, I, I don't think I don't think any of us probably do enough. Um, I, I wish because like, you, you get tied up with a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and there's not a lot of time. I think the best way, frankly, is to listen back. And it, particularly when I was younger, and I think this is true for a lot of young guys, um, you love it, and then you listen back to it. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, man, it, you know, it does sound okay, but you got to get comfortable with the idea of listening to yourself. And that's, that's something that takes some getting used to for some guys. It did me. But to me, that's the best way to get better is to listen to yourself um, Pre early, just you know uh, to, to get better, how can I describe things better uh, all of that and now you know once you've kind of got some years under your belt, um, and I do not listen as much as I should. I'd love to listen back to at least a portion of every broadcast I don't I just don't have the time, but I listen mostly now I mean certainly for pointers, but the biggest thing is I don't want to um, fall into crutches where you're hearing the same phrase over and over, because sometimes subconsciously that happens where um, you say something and you don't even realize you've said it, you know, 50 times in the previous 20 minutes. And so I'll listen to make sure I don't fall into those things. Um, Because I can get, it doesn't get annoying to anyone until they notice it. And then it's like, you know, fingers on a chalkboard every time you hear an announcer, (laughs) if they're they're on this, you know, and again, it's not intentional. It's just, you subconsciously you have these crutches sometimes. And so, um, and so, I think that's one of the things you have to do when you go back and listen. Um, I also um, try to come up in my mind when I have some free time of different ways to phrase the same thing. Uh, A pass, for example, um, years ago, and I still do this sometimes. But years ago, I'd listen to some high school football games, and every time the quarterback threw, I'd say, "Fires! He fires it right. He fires it left. Fires it over the middle. Fires one underneath." And when you listen to it, it, all of a sudden it's like, there's got to be some. Uh, and I still use that term. I just hope I don't use it as much. You know, I mean, there's a million, well, not a million, but there's a lot of ways to say pass, you know. <laughs> Describe the guy. He lops it over the middle, whips it right side, guns one left, swings it over the middle, you know. There's a, and so I will literally try to think up, if, you know, if I'm driving, I got a 20 minute drive, let's think up 50 ways to say pass. Just so you got it on your mind, you know. Um, and in basketball, the same way, bounces it over, throws it up, you know, uh, chest pass, you know, lob pass, uh, rifle, you can use a lot of football terms, rifle over the head, you know, swings it over the, you know, cross, cross the court, whatever, um, those kind of things. Um, same thing with this shot, you know, and I would do this too, and still sometimes, do. you know, you can do more than just say no good, you know, shots up, no good rebound, you up, no back of the rim, slips uh, off, curls out, you know, a bunch of different things. Um, now, I think you can go overboard with that and, and, and load the broadcast up with too much. You don't want to be, be uh, too busy, but I also think you don't want to be too uh, simple either. I think you want to change some stuff up. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, both of us in the craft really treat it as a craft, um, but really 90% Probably ninety-five percent of the audience really just wants to know what the score is, like you're, like what like the podcast is called, right? Um, you know, it, it give them a general idea of what's going on. Make sure they know the score and time. Um, but for us in the craft, uh, it is a craft, and there's a way to get better. And so, those are some areas that I, I try to uh, try to work on. You know, just adjectives, uh, ways to describe things. Um, one of the other things I think over the years is is don't think you have to talk every minute the mic's open. Sometimes it's good just to, certainly in baseball, but sometimes it's good just to have the natural arena noise or the football stadium noise come on through. Uh, you know, you can go a few seconds, 10, 12 seconds. seems like an eternity. But when you're listening, I found this just been listening, and that's another way. Um, with today's day and age, with the XM Sirius radio, you can listen to just about any Division One game on any night. Uh, and I think it's really helpful to listen to other people Uh, because you can hear what they're doing and say that's good, Um, even steal stuff if you want, but I also think you can listen to stuff and say, you know, that doesn't sound very good uh, in terms of what he's doing with that broadcast, and then, ooh, you know, I think I do that a little bit too, and now you you try to steer clear of that in future broadcasts, so I think that's of value as well, Um, but I I think you don't want to get too busy, but I also don't think you want to be mundane, that's for sure.
0: So as a college athlete, you told me that you played baseball at Luther College for a few years. How is it that you've never managed to get a baseball job? Is that something that you've wanted?
1: Um, You know what? Baseball, I'll be honest, baseball is my first love. Um, I really, though, have become a college football. I'm a college football guy. I love college football. Uh, I enjoy college basketball as well. What I like about college basketball is the the idea of – you play Tuesday, and then you can play right again Saturday. You play Wednesday, you play right again Saturday. You know it, it, the, the frequency is nice. Football, you know, you have a tough loss or a tough broadcast, and now you got to wait a week. Sometimes you have a bye week, you got to wait two weeks, and and it's a much longer, bigger prep time as well. Uh, in in to so so I enjoy what I'm doing. Um, but that said, uh, yeah, baseball is kind of my first love. That was I was you know that was the sport I personally played the best. I did not play high school football I did play high school basketball but was not a was not a factor on my high school basketball team but I had a pretty good baseball player could run could throw decent hitter uh I, I played all four years at Luther um I was on the you know the freshman team uh a freshman and they have a JV team and then went out to junior and senior played varsity um and and I always joke I was a, I was a below-average player on a below-average Division three team. Um, but I love baseball. And then um, when I got the job in, in Cedar Rapids, um, I kind of dove headfirst into the college stuff. Uh, got away from baseball a little bit, and then when I moved to St. Louis, got back into it and really regained my love of the game, uh, going to the ballpark every day, um, I have a son who's now in tenth grade. He was one years old when we moved to St. Louis, and he kind of got into baseball because in St. Louis, that's what you do—you get into baseball. It's a great baseball town, and now he's been playing. I've been coaching him in the summers, and and um, it's not that I—I've I, never really pursued one. The opportunity hasn't come up. You know, if a job would come up uh, right this second, I don't know. You know, if that's something I'd go after or not. Someday, maybe down the road, uh, it'd be fun to just uh, to follow a major league baseball team. But yeah, I've not uh, uh, that that opportunity has not presented itself, and I haven't really pursued it. Um, I enjoy going to the ballpark, and uh, and and right now, I really enjoy you know watching my son play and watch my daughter. She's a softball player. She's a freshman, and so we're getting our fill of uh, of ball, uh, That's for sure.
0: What broadcasters do you like to listen to when you have free time and just want to enjoy a game? Give us a couple national names and give us a couple local or regional names that maybe some other people don't know.
1: Sure, yeah. Now, growing up, uh, I'll give you—you know—really kind of the two, the two guys. And like I said earlier in the in the podcast, I was lucky to work for both or with both of them. Uh, Ron Gonder, I grew up listening to. He is the voice of Iowa football and basketball. and, and he, he retired, uh, and I took his spot as sports director at WMT in Cedar Rapids. But um, really thankful uh, we've stayed in touch, uh, one of the nicest people. You know, there, there's not a lot of people in the world where you can say, I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about that guy. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about Ron Gonder. He's just he's an unbelievable guy. And Jack Buck, uh, I grew up listening to him. So so those those were my first two kind of idols. Um, and then for my time in St. Louis, now you know they, they was certainly much more meaningful to me to have met and worked around them. I mean, some of them may not even remember me, but you know, I did get to rub some elbows with some some cool people, like we mentioned, Joe Buck and Bob Costas, and you know uh, some of those guys that have worked there. And Tom Ackerman, who's now the the sports director there, is so still a really good friend, and we we talk at least monthly. Uh, and, and and so he's a guy that certainly I. I look up to, even though uh, he's younger than me, uh, I still look up to him because he's, he's a model to follow and what, what he's done. Um, on a national level, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good broadcasters out there. I do like Joe Buck. I think he does well. Um, Michaels might be the greatest TV, you know, sportscaster, play-by-play guy that's ever lived. Uh, regionally, I think Wayne Larrabee with the Packers does well. Um, Paul Allen has a very unique style uh, here in Minneapolis, the voice of the Vikings. I enjoy it. Uh, and it's an excitable uh, broadcast. Uh, it's a unique sound, and uh, and so I, I, I do I enjoy it. I, I enjoy his time on the, on the radio as well. Um, but I think radio play-by-play, I mean, uh, for football, Larry, he's as good as it comes in the country. I mean, he's he's on it. He's got the play. He's got the ball carrier. He's got the tackler on the distance, and he does it in a very good, unique way. Um many good talented broadcasters i should have written some of these down but you know dan Schulman i think is great i think mike tarico is like the modern day the younger version of al michaels and in, in the in the full graph of of everything they, that they, they have a special sense of of being able to capture the broadcast in its entirety and i mean that you have a flow um they have everything encompassing uh, they are smart when it comes to strategy and and, and uh, describing what is happening. Uh, they understand officiating rules. Not all broadcasters do that. We I mean, have one other recommendation is to make sure you're very well versed in the rules. Uh, there are certainly times where a broadcaster uh, can embarrass himself by mentioning something and then uh, uh, not have the rule right when they question something. Um, and so I usually make it a point before the season every year to uh, kind of read through rule changes uh the big ten football media day they have the director of officials there and i usually make it a point to chat with him for a minute or two or ten and uh, and find out that but uh, i think shulman's good i think tariko's good Who am i forgetting I, i've always liked the old standby Bern lundquist um you know i would just it would just come in a few weeks off the masters you know he's been on that 16th tower forever and uh, Think of some of the great golf shots he's pulled over the years there, and of course he's done—he's done well in the NCAA tournament, college football, and, um, and of course and his
0: shining achievement, Happy Gilmore.
1: Yeah, absolutely, no no doubt about it, uh, no doubt about it. He's a—he's a, he although he didn't grow up in Minnesota, he was born in Minnesota, so uh, we've got uh, here in the state of Minnesota that going for us when it comes to Vern quiz. <laughs> so, there, are others, uh, you know, one of my best friends in broadcasting because that's where I. Grew up and worked with him is uh, the Iowa guy Gary Dolphin. I think Matt LePay, uh... at Wisconsin's about as good as it gets anywhere in Division One. Um, Paul Keels at Ohio State uh, become a pretty good friend of mine. Uh, you know, and, and I think the Big Ten in general is pretty lucky. There's a lot of good announcers in our league, and uh, you know, and there are some others over the course of, of the country. And well, it's fun. That's what I say. On a given night, if this folks have XM Radio, just go to the sports channels and you can pick up a bunch of different broadcasts and i think it's kind of
0: fun to listen all right you've given me over an hour of your time here already and i appreciate that very much and i guess i just want to give you a chance to give uh people a chance to know where to listen to you if there's anything else that you want to plug or get out there
1: well they can certainly listen to me uh we have uh our uh, our flagship stations here in the Twin Cities. There's two different ones. On football is the local sports station on the F M. Uh and that's an iHeart radio app. They can listen anywhere for free to any of our games. Uh and then it's TuneIn in radio for basketball and that's fifteen hundred ESPN locally. So on the AM dial, but the Tune in app uh, and you can listen to that anywhere. So uh and, and all of our home games are on Sirius X M as well. So they I mean if, if people want to listen to the golfers, that's uh, that's where they can go and uh, it, it, I, I just uh, am blessed, certainly, to, uh, to be able to bring action to anybody who wants to listen.
0: How would somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to do so?
1: Probably the easiest way would just be through Twitter, I think. Mike Grimm 3. Maybe I can add a few followers. Huh? And
0: just, just don't add the New York Senator.
1: Don't, don't, do not contact me about gun control. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mike, I thank you so much for joining us. Mike Grimm, the voice of the Minnesota Golden Gophers, and thanks for joining us. It's really been an honor.
1: Yeah, thank you, Logan. I enjoyed it as well.
0: Make sure to subscribe to the Say the Damn Score podcast on iTunes. We're on Stitcher now, or if you... Really want to, and I'd be very appreciative if you do this. You just go up to the top of the website, saythedamnscore.com, and click on the email subscribe page. And then you are the first person to know about every update on the page. I'm Logan Anderson. Thanks for listening to, and re- remember the next time you're on the air to say the damn score.